Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, Nick Polak fell in a well. Matt DeBear also fell in a well. And, you know, a whole bunch of people fell in a well. So we had to go way deep into our bullpen and uh, call out the lefty. I don't even know if he is a lefty. Our intern, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I'm not a lefty, but uh, I'm happy I was able to, you know, get the call from the pen and yeah. and finish the game off here. Yeah, listen, every once in a while, you know, your relievers have been uh they've been tired out over a lot of work over the past couple of games and you got to give the kid a shot. And this is a uh, Matt's podcast. It, it it's the podcast of you, correct? It is. Yes. All right. Well, I can think of no better game uh to spend time talking about than what happened on Friday night, which is still a very, very weird thing, uh, the dulcet tones of Petros Papadakis uh, led, us, led us through the uh, minefield that was Champaign, Illinois for Penn State's 63-24 to win over the Illini. Uh, big story was the Penn State rushing attack, 51 carries, 387 yards, six scores, Trace McSorley with his arm, 12 for 19, 160 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Uh... Jo- uh, Jawan Johnson got a touchdown grab. Uh, KJ Hamler got one. Pat Fryermuth got one. So a little bit of concern on defense. We'll surely uh, touch into that in a second. We're going to talk about this game. Uh, some kind of just more general things that we can discuss. Uh, we will certainly touch on the fact how from September 11th to September 19th, 2012, Steely Dan played the Beacon Theater for nine straight nights. But before we get to any of that stuff, Matt, what's just kind of your broad takeaway uh, from Penn State's gigantic win over Illinois? I think the biggest takeaway has to be that this running attack is just legit. Miles Sanders looks every bit as good as Saquon Barkley when he gets his opportunities. I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a stretch there, but for him to go for 200 yards on a relatively solid amount of carries, but, I mean, Ricky Slade got his fair share, Journey Brown got some run in there, Trace Mishorley got his opportunities, but I think it's got to be just Miles Sanders, you could tell he's been tired by like being compared to Saquon all summer long, that he's just running like a madman throughout the first was it quarter of the season. Yeah, it's it's weird because like to whatever extent someone that was the number one running back in America could be like slept on, it, it, it's kind of feels like people have almost forgotten the fact that like Miles Sanders Getting him as a recruit was an exponentially bigger win than getting Saquon Barkley as a recruit. Like, Saquon turned into, you know, this freak of nature, but Miles Sanders has been outstanding for Penn State. Like, in a way that I expected him to be good. I didn't expect uh, 22 carries, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Goes, But, yeah, like you mentioned, Matt, Ricky Slade, 10 carries, 94 yards, two scores. Trace McSorley, 15 for 92. Journey Brown with his first uh, r- rushing touchdown, and I, we, we've kind of seen all season that it's felt like a bit of a concerted effort to get the ground game going. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about why, but Penn State, seventh nationally in rushing yards, uh, first nationally in rushing touchdowns. Like, I, I almost want to know, and this is something that we might talk about a little bit more uh, when we get into the running game, but like, do you think it almost feels like they're kind of uh, they're kind of keeping something in their back pocket with the passing game, or do you think it's just you know this rushing attack? It's really special and as an offensive line, that's really good at blocking for the run. So let's go for it. 
I think it's a little bit of both. I do think we really haven't seen Ricky Ronnie release Miles Sanders in the way that he knows he can. But I think a big reason for that is because he has all these other weapons behind him in the running game. And kind of going off what you said about the passing game, I think a lot of the reason you had to focus on the run was because you had all those passing game woes, whether that be, you know, the drops or McSorley under a little bit of pressure. So that's certainly like answer your question. But I feel like Ronnie has a lot more than he's shown. Yeah. And as I'm looking this week, uh, you know, I don't know how these are adjusted for garbage time or stuff like that, but 51 carries to 20 passes thrown. It's not like they were playing in a monsoon. It's not like I, it was a bit of a windy night, uh, you know, by all accounts. Uh, but it's not like Illinois has the stout passing defense. Plus, early on, it looked like Penn State was going to have a bunch of opportunities to uh, to to basically destroy Illinois up the seams, and they just decided keep the ball on the ground. I'm, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more. My big thing was uh, the big, just kind of in this game and kind of an overarching thing that we've seen with Penn State is in the last couple of weeks, when Penn State has gotten the opportunity to start pouring it on, they have against Pitt uh, 37 points in the second half, against Kent State 35 points in the second half, uh, and then, of course, this week, they were down 28-21 to 21 at one point in uh, the third quarter. Which, like, I feel like, like it's almost kind of forgotten. But there was a time, or 28-24, I apologize. Penn State was losing this football game in the second half. And it looked like, you know, Matt, or no, 20, it was 24, 21. Matt, you and I were talking before the game, but I mean, before the pod, like, it just felt like this was going to be Illinois' night. They scored on uh, a trick play. Penn State tried a trick play that didn't work. I, I, I mean, it just had this feeling of, you know what? Everything is coming together for Illinois. And then next thing you know, Penn State, despite being down in the second half of a football game in which it was favored by 28 points, managed to cover the spread because they decided to pour it on in the fourth quarter to the tune of 35 points. Like, you, you're, again, as you you mentioned before the pod, like, there was a moment, and you can dive in a little bit, where it just felt like this was Illinois' night. Oh, yeah. When they ran that trick play, I just thought to myself, like, this is going to be a weird Friday night game. Lovey Smith is going to get a win, and they're going to give him a nine-year extension because of this one win, because that's just something that happens. I wouldn't, yeah, when they ran that trick play and executed it, I'm, there was a large part of me that was just like, it's a look ahead spot, it's a trap game, and I was really concerned. But I feel like a big reason why they were able to pour those points on is because they took their shots when they had them. You know, that first play off the Jan Johnson interception, throwing that, uh, what was it? It was like a little fun little out route to the pylon to KJ Hamler. That was a great call because you have, I mean, momentum is. I don't really think it's that big of a thing, but you're that close. You you're take your shot now. Yeah. Yeah, you, you take your shot, and it worked out perfectly. I think the play calling got a lot better, and I think once they realized, like, okay, we can dominate this team, that's just what they went out there and did. Yeah, and, I, I mean, we Nick and I mentioned on the pod uh, leading into this game where when it came to talent, when it came to just so many f- factors that usually decide a football game, these were two teams on, 
you know, it was night and day. Like, Illinois is a program that it's young talent that's trying to make the leap from bad to respectable. Penn State, while, yes, it's a lot of young players, it's trying to make this leap from a great team to a playoff caliber team. And for a good portion of this game, it just didn't feel like that was happening. And Illinois was going out and they were making plays. They, uh, the touchdown where they ran a, uh, where it looked like they were going to run a screen and the guy that uh, John Reed was on ends up, you know, just running a slant into the end zone and Penn State's secondary didn't quite know what was going on. Like, it just, like, that's the kind of thing. Those little plays where it just comes down to execution, they were executing a little bit better. They were, uh, they punched Penn State in the mouth. How many times have we seen in sports the underdog is able to get a win because the favorite wasn't able to put them away and just let them hang around. And like, yes, it's a testament to Penn State um, that it was eventually able to kind of get going on all cylinders. But something I want to talk about, Matt, again, and it was something that was on display in this game, and it could be more broadly viewed as something for most of the season, was it feels like the offense hasn't quite put together a 60-minute game yet. I mean, we saw in this one, any offense that can put up 35 points in a road conference game, regardless of the opponent, 35 points in a quarter, that's an offense that's capable of doing some really special stuff. I mean, Penn State's, uh, I'm looking at this right now, where they are in terms of scoring offense right now, but they're right towards the top. They're number one in the country at 55.5 points per game. They're running the ball on team, like we said, 10th in rushing yards per game. Like it, This is an offense that we know could do special stuff, and yet they haven't been able to do it over the course of a game, an entire game. They do it in spurts, whether it's a quarter, a half, whatever. So I want to know, is there something to that that it's a cause for concern, or do we have to look at it as a holistic thing where it's like, yeah, it takes them a little while to get going, but they still have the most prolific offense in college football. Yeah, I think you kind of have to take a look at it where it's they're getting their points. You know, it doesn't really matter if you get them in the first quarter or the fourth quarter, as long as you get enough points to win. And like you said, this is the top scoring offense in the country. That's insane when you kind of think about how they've gotten those points, that they've all come so late. So I really don't think it's all that big of a deal because we all know it's kind of been this team's M.O. since 2016 that this is going to be a second half team. You're going to make the adjustments and you're going to be fine. So I really don't think it's all that big of a deal. But again, you can cover up a lot of problems when you're the top scoring team in the country. Like that can that can make it look a lot better. Yeah, I, I'm pulling this up uh, right now. But Jason Kirk for SB Nation wrote something. Uh, 2016 Penn State was First nationally in third quarter S&P offensive S&P plus. Fourth nationally in fourth quarter offensive S&P plus. 2017, um, you know, they were still just on the whole an outstanding offense with the defense picking it up a little bit down the stretch. I, I For me, it's a bit of a concern. Um, just because my thought is what happens, you know, I don't want to, put it all on next week because it's something that could pop up at any time during the season. 
But next week, Ohio State is the number two scoring offense in college football. They are exactly one point per game behind Penn State. They have scored four pure points on the season. What happens if that Ohio State team shows up and that Ohio State team comes out and they spread it out over the course of a game and we're entering the fourth quarter and it's, you know, 35 to 10 Ohio State. Yes, I know Penn State's offense has the horses to be able to make up just about any deficit, but also when you're down by 25 points to, or you're down by a substantial amount to a really, really good football team and not football teams that are, uh, you know, in the bottom half of the country in S&P Plus or whatever, that's where it gets to be a bit of a concern, I think. But having said that, there is something to the fact, Matt, that like it feels like as this defense is, uh, you know, it's still growing. Guys are still learning their roles. Uh, guys like John Reed are still trying to get a little bit of rust off. And, you know, he had some moments in that game against Illinois where he certainly didn't look like the John Reed of old. There's something reassuring about knowing that if the defense can, how do I say this? If the defense cannot fall apart, if the defense can keep Penn State in a game, if it's close, I have no reason to think that this offense can't find a way to get the job done, whether it's running the ball or throwing the ball. Absolutely. And kind of like to go back, if you think about it, the last three losses Penn State had, they more or less blew leads. This is a team that's comfortable playing from behind. I mean, think back to Ohio State back in 2016. Penn State trailed, what was it, 21-7 after that weird safety on the um, long, high snap. And then they came back and won. This is a team that knows how to play from behind, which really gives me a lot of confidence when, you know, even if the offense isn't putting up those kind of points in the first, because we've seen it a million times, it feels like them being able to put up enough points to get back in it and eventually win those games. Yeah, and I, someone made the point that uh, in each of the last... It, it might might have been Ben Jones, someone like that. Each of the last two Penn State, Ohio State points, like, uh, games, the team that won the game was trailing by double digits heading into the fourth quarter. And I don't know... Again, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I don't know if it's going to be something where I think that uh, either team is in a position where that has to happen again this week. But again, if this team is behind, it's not going to stop fighting and it has the horses to be able to get back into games. Um, The other kind of thing that I want to talk about, and again, it was on display in in the Illinois game. Um, it, it's something that was on display against Pitt. It was something on display against Kent State to an extent. And, you know, App, App State was a bit of an outlier in this. But Penn State's defense, it seems like it, it, it's doing this really fun exercise where it's taking its time uh, getting uh, <laughs> settled. I, I think that's the way to put it, getting settled into games. Um, I, I kind of have a theory on... One thing that I think, one major thing that I think has, uh, is why Penn State's defense has taken a little bit to get settled in. But again, is it something or nothing that early on the defense has uh, struggled and eventually they get 
their act together. But again, it's eventually they get their act together and it's not quarter one, we're winning these one-on-ones, we're winning these battles, and we're going to do that for four quarters. Yeah, I, obviously it is something whenever you know your defense is having a kind of hard time get going. Um, hold on, I lost my train of thought here. I think a big reason as to why we're seeing that is because I think Brent Pry is experimenting a lot throughout these four, four games because he can afford to. That's kind of more or less my theory. He can kind of mix guys in and see who can play where. You know, what kind of role is Micah Parsons going to have? That's been carved out now. You know, these first four games were kind of deciding what he was going to do. What's Etor Gross Matos going to do? Is he going to kind of take on that Ryan Buckholz kind of role? So I think, obviously, it's, it's absolutely something to be concerned about. But I think Brent probably spent these first four games experimenting because he knew he could, because he knew his offense was able to go out there and drop 50 points each game. And that's, I do think it's a pretty interesting way to look at it. I'm pulling up uh, Dan's snap counts for uh, the first two games, uh, not the first two games, the last two games, uh, specifically Kent State and Pitt, where you look at the number, and yeah, there was, again, there was a blowout to factor into it, but like, just looking at a defensive end, like the Two guys, the the three guys, four guys who got the most snaps. Number one, Yitor Gross Matos. Number two, Daniel Joseph. Number three, a tie is Shaka Tony and Jason Owe. You look at defensive tackle. Uh, PJ Mustafer got 31 snaps. Antonio Shelton got 30. Kevin Givens got 28. Robert Windsor got 27. Like, there is a lot of experimenting going on, certainly trying to figure out, you know, it's a puzzle. Like, what is the best way that all of the pieces fit together in the puzzle. And I haven't gotten a chance to check out Dan's snap counts. Uh, that will be live on the site by the time people listen to this, but I would anticipate that it has a lot to do with that. Another big thing that I think it is, is just it takes Penn It has taken Penn State a little bit to get comfortable going up against defense, against teams that like, are trying to play very fast. I, I think Pitt was a bit of an outlier because, you know, they're a big bruising running team in a rainstorm. Like, of course you're going to need a little bit of time. To Love kinda, the fullback. Yeah. Love the fullback. They're, they're, they're throwing out this fullback with no neck who's just, like, <laughs> mauling dudes between offensive linemen, all of which are, like, 6'4 and 325 pounds. Like, I get needing a little bit, but even then, like, they ran on Penn State, but scored six points in the first uh, in the first half, and then in the entire game because that game ended fifty-one to six. But when I look yeah. at Illinois, they had seventeen first-half points. Uh, Kent State was able to get a touchdown early on and do some stuff that made Penn State uncomfortable. And I really do think it just comes down to the fact that these teams were playing so incredibly fast that I think it kind of uh, knocked Penn State on their asses a little bit. And when that happens, it's about getting into the locker room. It's about regrouping with the second half team thing. Like Brent Pry over his time at Penn state has shown to be a very, very, very good defensive coordinator when it comes to, uh, when it comes to getting his team into the locker room and going, we did this, this, and this, let's do this, this, and this instead. You know, I mean, they're again, they're the outliers. There's Michigan's, uh, not Michigan State, I mean, Michigan State sucked. There's uh, Appalachian State's quarterback, 
who is like now seventh nationally in passer rating, turning into uh, what would happen if we threw Drew Brees in college football right now. There is uh, Ohio State last year, you know, just doing whatever it wanted against a Penn State team that couldn't generate a pass rush. But on the whole, it's kind of been Penn State's MO that once it gets into the locker room, it's going to figure out what it was doing wrong and it's going to make those adjustments on both sides of the ball, but specifically on defense. Oh, but ab- absolutely. Yeah. But Sorry, was, first of all, go ahead. Zach Thomas, Sean Clifford should be the Heisman race everyone's talking about. Oh, God. Those guys are, those guys are both fantastic. Yeah, give me like half a second because uh, Stu Mandel like tweeted out uh, the passer rating leader. And I do want to make sure I got this right. Uh, yeah, Zach Thomas, seventh in uh, passer rating. Uh, he, they won by like yeah. 73 to 9 on Saturday. Yeah. Like something absolutely ridiculous. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the App State He's, Mountaineers right now. They're awesome. Like, I, I tweeted this like jokingly, but like I don't think I'd hate playing them again in the like the Peach Bowl or something. Like, oh, if, no if way. Penn, like uh, my, my ideal scenario is Penn State makes the playoff, of course. I would oh, not, absolutely. I would not hate like playing Washington in the Rose Bowl or something because I think that would be a blast, even though they played last year. But in the event that uh, you know Ohio State is the playoff team, in the event that Wisconsin goes out to the Rose Bowl, the thought of Penn State playing App State again in uh, the Peach in a rematch of what was you know one of the front runners for Game of the Year right now. I don't think anyone would like super totally hate that, except for the people who would be terrified of having to play App State. Also, Zach Thomas is uh, fourth nationally in completion percentage at 74.6%. He's above Tua. He's above uh, he, he's above everyone other than uh, the someone at Eastern Michigan, Dwayne Haskins, and Will Greer. Like he's just he's money. But that's it. That's insane. And it's I don't think it's really all that far fetched at this point, especially after Boise State having a loss for App State to maybe get that New Year's six bid. I yeah. mean, they gotta go through national champion UCF first. You know, <laughs> they have to have a loss there, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility where that win looks really, really, really good on their resume at the end of the year. Yeah, there's they uh are they getting they're they're getting coaches poll votes. Uh, they're not getting. AG I don't think they got any AG votes today. They yeah. have not. Uh, they're getting coaches poll votes. Um, you know they whooped up on Shar. They whooped up on Gardner Webb. They oh wait no they're uh they avoided UCF. They have to get a they do avoid they have to beat Troy, which would be like, like impressive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But otherwise, like yeah, there App State might run the table, and if they run the table, I'm I will really quickly check. Uh, Football outsiders for the most recent S and P Plus rankings, but I believe uh, they're three spots in S and P Plus behind UCF. But otherwise, they're the best pow- uh, conf- uh, group of five teams. So, yeah, that would be a. Uh, I'd be very much for that. Uh, but yeah, I, as I to we uh, apologies for getting off track, but like yeah, Matt this is I, the end of the Appalachian right. State portion of the yeah, podcast. Matt, Matt and I are both big advocates for uh, this Appalachian State Mountaineer team. Someone who isn't like Rutgers, uh, who we'll probably make fun of a little bit later in this episode for reasons that should be obvious to anyone. Uh, hire Scott Satter. If you, uh, if you are a team that Penn State plays, please do not hire Appalachian State's coach. Otherwise, someone hire that man. He's very good and he deserves it. Uh, yeah, as I look at this game. Uh, like I, I look at this rushing attack 
where I don't know exactly. I've got a chance to go back and watch this game again, where it, you know, Mike Epstein and Reggie Corbin were kind of able to. Uh, Epstein especially was good at getting those like five, six, seven yard gains against Penn State. Uh, I think they bottled up Corbin a little bit better than you might think. He had 11 carries for 87 yards, but one of those was for 51 yards. So take that out. It was 10 carries for 36. That's fine. Uh, Epstein was a little bit better in that regard. I think that the confidence that I have in Penn State's defense, despite the fact that it's a little bit light up front, uh, its linebackers are a bit inexperienced, it's cornerbacks, one guy. Again, John Reed doesn't look like he's fully uh, back to being John Reed yet. Now they're down Donovan Johnson. The reason that I have optimism is that I trust, Matt, that once this defense gets the chance to sit down and analyze and fix whatever issues popped up in the first half of a football game, I trust that they're going to be able to fix whatever those issues were. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the one big concern I really got to take away from the Illinois game would have to be the way Illinois was able to gash defense with this kind of two-back rotation. Because Ohio State is going to run that. But like you said, Brent Pry, when he goes in the locker room, he knows exactly what the problem is. And he's able to identify it and get it fixed immediately, which is like... A huge testament because the offensive coaches on the other side are do- trying to do the same thing. I-, I-, I mean, I have all the confidence world in what Brent Price is doing, and I think he's going to be fantastic going forward. So, yeah, and uh, I mean, Ohio State—they're—they're going to be a schematically a very interesting challenge because they are going to—they're not going to go as fast as Illinois did. I mean, I'll try and see if I can find like pace statistics somewhere but I don't think they're going to try and go that fast. They won't have the threat of a quarterback who can beat you with his legs. I mean, Dwayne Haskins is a very capable runner, but he has shown this season that he is just not going to tuck it and run because he's just been outstanding throwing the football. I mean, his worst game was against TCU in, in terms of completion percentage. His worst game was against TCU. That was the game where he had his most passing yards of the year. He's ran the ball uh, 10 times on the season. Like He is not the typical Urban Meyer quarterback, which might be the reason why he's so scary. And oh, by the way, he has J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber in the backfield lining up next to him, so he doesn't really need to run the football. It's going to be a really interesting game, and I think that if Penn State is able to uh, go into the locker room at the half with either, you know, it's a 10-point game in either direction. I trust that it can win this game. It will be a little bit difficult, but I think it's going to be, uh, I think we have enough evidence so far. And Matt, if you want to talk a little bit about the Ohio State game here, since we'll do We'll be doing, uh, you know, we'll get Nick and Matt out of the well for that a little bit later in the week. <laughs> Just like some general thoughts you have going into this one, how the two teams match up, anything like that, by all means, go for it. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is amazing. It kills me to say it, but he looks he looks really good. 
He looks really good. Uh, I'm really excited to see how he does in what's really going to be his first road start. That neutral site game against TCU, even though it was in Texas, that was half Ohio State fans. So, I mean, JT Barrett was fantastic and clutch and did a great job engineering that comeback last year. But I think the whiteout crowd can really do a good job uh, getting into Haskins' head, especially if he finds some trouble. Uh, I'm just, I'm so excited for that game. I'm walking around campus uh, earlier tonight and, you know, scouting out what would be a cool game day spot. So I, I could not be more excited. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, this is my first game uh, back since I moved away from State College earlier this summer. So I'm like, I, I'm like already counting down the day. Like, it's going to be hot fire. I mean, we're, you and I were talking a bit before the pod. We don't think that Nick Bosa being out is going to be as big of a uh, cons- as big of a concern for the Buckeyes as losing a player of his caliber should be. Um, but this game is good. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a war, and it's going to be uh, a very interesting one for Penn State. And I think one of the ways that it can and probably will try to attack Ohio State, is by leaning on that running game. And as we saw uh, this past week, and as we've really seen all season, this rushing attack is in a bit of a groove. Uh, last year, Penn State ran for 4.9 yards per carry. This year, that's up to 6.4 yards per carry. Like it's It's been a special group so far this season. And Matt, I think kind of the broad question is, why has the running game, I mean, we touched on Miles Sanders a second ago, if you want to touch on him again, sure, but broadly, why has the running game through four games been so good? The offensive line is maybe not as good as a lot of us hoped for, but that doesn't mean they're not fantastic. I mean, I was hoping they would be able to go out there and dominate teams in pass protection, and they've been fine. But running the football, I mean, Ryan Bates is a monster. Michael Manick, Connor McGovern, and Steven Gonzalez on the inside are just terrifying human beings and can just bulldoze interior defensive linemen. Will Fries has been great. Chaz Wright got some good good reps. C.J. Thorpe just looks like he always wants to maul somebody. <laughs> it's, it's just been so much fun to watch this team get push. I mean, thought more like a lot of times when Saquon Barkley got the football, he was dancing to the backfield, which is what made him such a fantastic and special player that he could make those guys miss. But now it feels like Miles Sanders can get ahead of steam when he gets that second level and really use his line the way a line needs to be used in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I was looking at it um, in Bill Connolly's updated stats, and unfortunately I don't... It, the, the, they weren't up, haven't been updated for this past week yet, uh, I was just looking at them in the lead up to the game, and the big stat to me was that Penn State is a middle of the road. I think they're like 70th or something in stuff rate, which you don't want to be 70th in anything. But I, when they're you know 128 teams in college football, but that's been kind of the stat for Penn State football over the last few years, especially when it comes to the and when it comes to the running game. Penn State's rushing attack has been over the past few years. If they can get past the line of scrimmage, they're going a long way. The issue is they're, only, they're about one in every four snaps or so. 
where they run the football, it's not getting past the line of scrimmage. That's been a huge concern, one that has been alleviated to some extent this year. I Miles Sanders is averaging seven yards a carry. Trace McSorley, 5.7. Ricky Slade is nearly at six. Mark Allen's at four. Uh, and then, you know, you have, like, Jonathan Thomas averaging 28. I'm sure that will uh, measure itself out. But I look at how, one, the offensive line has improved. Two, it feels like defenses aren't keying in on stopping the rushing attack, which is, what a testament to Saquon Barkley, uh, because, you know, teams would just load up and try and make his... They wouldn't want him to beat him. Two, it's a testament to Trace McSorley, because now the focus is... They, we know they can beat us deep. We're not going to let him do that. And three, it's a testament to the offensive line. They've been able to get that push, and they've been able to give a guy like Miles Sanders, who has all the God-given talent you want in a running back, the space and the ability to make stuff happen. Uh, and I think we would be remiss if right now we don't mention the fact that Penn State has managed to do this Without, I mean, the the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on campus, but at Penn State, he's really the most popular guy on campus because in the running attack, Tommy Stevens is, he brings a dimension that most other, that basically no other football team has. Not many, There aren't many guys that are uh, listed at six foot five and two hundred and forty pounds, who can also throw a football. So, uh, just for if any listeners aren't aware of why Tommy hasn't been playing, uh, Matt, you you're you're our uh, guy in State College. Like, what's kind of been up with him, and to whatever extent that you can speculate on this, uh, what do you expect his availability to be this weekend? Yeah, for sure. So Tommy is, you know, college football's greatest decoy. I love Tommy Stevens so much. But no, he hurt his foot uh, back in the spring and he went through workouts and then he, I guess, hurt it again in camp. And he was out for a while. You know, he wasn't practicing. But the past two weeks I've been at the uh, Wednesday open media practices, he's been out there running around. He's been, you know, doing his thing. And I think he would have been ready to go way back at Kent State. But why would you use him, you know, in case he isn't? So I, I would be shocked if Tommy Stevens doesn't make his season debut um, this upcoming Saturday. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm when you kind of look at what Tommy brings, he, he, his ability to run the ball and his ability to kind of to take a snap and to... He doesn't run like most quarterbacks because... He's a guy who gets the football and then will take his shoulder pad and try and break you in half with it. He is a oh, physicality. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. He's a physicality and a speed to him that makes him dangerous when he's on the field, but he can also throw the football. Like they have this they have the Tommy package. It's the uh it is the apple of every Penn State fan's eye, basically. And I've spoken about this with uh friends with fellow Penn State fans who say you know James Franklin he hasn't used the Tommy package in big games we haven't seen Tommy Stevens uh that I, I he didn't play against Ohio State or against Michigan State last year barely got on the field I, I think he might have gotten garbage time against Michigan last year didn't play against Washington in the bowl game didn't play against Pitt like all these things 
I think, and Matt, you uh, correct, correct me if you disagree on this, I, I'm with you. I would be stunned if we don't see Tommy Stevens because, uh, like, it, it just... I, I cannot fathom a situation in which James Franklin doesn't go. Anything that can give us an advantage to win in this football game, we have to go with. And I think that Tommy is going to be something that can give us an advantage in this football game. Oh yeah, every it seems like every team is running that uh, that Philly Philly special we saw in the Super Bowl. I mean, we saw the Browns do it with Baker, which was awesome because Baker's the best ever. Uh, and then we saw Penn State try to do it. Uh, I got called back, unfortunately, which was a coward's call. You gotta let you gotta let that stand. And I, Illinois even ran something like that. So we're gonna see something super weird that really hasn't shown on tape because like you said it's not like it's a receiver throwing the ball back to trace it's a man with a cannon attached to his torso who's just gonna Mm -hmm. sling it it's gonna be it's gonna rule it's gonna be great and it's something where like i i really cannot stress every single thing like this is not a game where you hold anything back like it's it's felt to me like Penn State hasn't um, Penn State hasn't really gone deep as much this year as you kind of expect out of Penn State. I mean, the they've ran the ball 173 times and thrown it 106 times. Like that's not the balance that you might expect uh, out of a team like Penn State, which uh, last year threw it 458 times, ran it 451 times. It's felt like Penn State's passing attack hasn't really uh, been leaned on to win them a football game. And yeah, they've been, in that, they've been ahead a lot. You're not chucking the ball when you're ahead unless you're, uh, you have Sean Clifford in and you have a Heisman that you're trying to win them. But if, if Penn State's able to throw the football against Ohio State – there's going to be room to be able to do some weird stuff on the ground. And there is no better way to do weird stuff on the ground than with a guy who is six foot five inches and 240 pounds and can run like a gazelle and will run over anyone who tries to arm tackle him. Like it just it would be stunning to me if we don't see something with Tommy Stevens. If he is in, and you know, I trust Matt's judgment here, if he is indeed as healthy as it seems like he is. Um, yeah, he's not just, you know, yeah. going through the drills. He's, you know, jumping on top of people. He's running around. You know, Tommy has a lot of energy at practice. It's always really fun to watch. He's He looks like he always has. I'm I'm really not all that concerned about. Maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But I, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would certainly like to see Tommy Stevens this week. Uh, I think I, I speak for most, if not all, Penn State fans in that. Uh, any uh, final things you'd like to mention about the Illinois game before we very, very quickly touch on uh, the week in Big Ten action. Yeah, I just want to go back to your passing uh, game point real quick. I think a big reason for that difference is because there's been so many drops. So that I think they kind of want to run more deliberate passing plays, if that makes any sense. They want to get sense. They want to get the guys the ball. So they, they didn't really want to take those shots while the guys were having the drops. So that's going to even out. That's not really all that big of a concern to me. I think the passing game, I mean, Jawan Johnson had that big catch. I think he led the team in receptions. I think he was second in yards. Uh, I'm not too worried about the passing game going. I think those drops are out of them. And if you're going to have the drops, it's, it's great you did it in these first four. This is, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I, oh, I, I more mean that, like, I think they haven't really uh, 
they haven't really taken advantage of the fact. And again, I do. I would not be surprised if this is a deliberate thing that they have the athletes, they have the guys who can go down the field and make the plays in the passing game that uh, that, that that really open things up. And I think that if they are that it, this is as good of a week as any to do that, especially like. Ohio State's going to be replacing Nick Bosa with a five-star in Chase Young. Like he, yeah, that's like they're they're Ohio State's defensive line is still going to be terrifying. We're going to try and talk to someone uh, from Eleven Warriors a little later in the week on the pod to get you prepped for that. But Ohio State's defensive line is still terrifying. Having said that, Nick Bosa might be the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. So if he's uh, him not being there is going to be a big loss, and it's going, it should give Trace McSorley a little bit more time and a little bit more room. Uh, to throw the football and to hopefully take advantage of an Ohio State back seven that uh, is talented but it is a little bit young and is going to be going up against the best receiving core and the most talented receiving core it's had to go up against this year. But that's for next week. As for this past week, going through uh, the week in Big Ten, uh, Ohio State whooped up on Tulane. Uh, I have nothing to say about this other than Dwayne Haskins is uh, good at football. Do you have anything to add, Matt? Uh, I always forget if it's Tulane or Tulsa, but uh, go Green Wave. Yeah, there t- Tulane is the Green Wave. Yes, Tulsa is the uh, Golden. Uh, no, that's Penn State. No, they're, golden they're, they're Golden something. Uh, golden Hurricanes. It's something like that. Uh, Cap- uh, Captain Kane is their mass. The Golden. Golden Hurricane. It's a singular hurricane, not a. Uh, it's not a weather pattern, I suppose. One team, team mentality. I yes. love it. Uh, Maryland, forty-two. Minnesota, thirteen. Uh, Minnesota might be, but Maryland, I have no idea exactly what they are yet. But uh, Nick, credit to him, he predicted that Ty Johnson was going to have a big game. Eleven carries, one hundred twenty-three yards, one touchdown. Um, yeah, I still have no idea what to think about Maryland uh maybe yeah. we maybe we have a better sense of them by the time uh you know they take on Penn State later in the year but for now just nothing that's a weird football team yeah Minnesota might be but Maryland might be good Texas looked like it was but but now Texas is good I don't know it's weird <laughs> they, they I don't I think they just have tech like I you know how in a what like this is an, a very imperfect comparison, but like in UFC, Daniel Cormier is like the second best fighter. It one maybe this he's the second best light heavyweight of all time, possibly. And the only reason he's not the best is because the guy who is the best is John Jones, and John Jones is just able to like dominate him. Uh, and it's almost like John Jones is or Maryland is John Jones in this scenario, uh, which is the only time they will ever be John Jones in any kind of scenario. <laughs> and, like, Texas is Daniel Cormier. Like, I don't know what it is. It's very weird. Uh, also very weird, uh, Buffalo 42, Rutgers 13. Hell yeah. Um, Whoo! I Hell yeah. So this I is, love Buffalo. That's your, that's your new, that's your adopted hometown general area, correct? Well, Syracuse, technically. So I'm a big, okay. I'm a big Dino Babers advocate. Yes, I love me some UB. I was in Rochester uh, this weekend, so I had a little bit more of a connection uh, to UB. But I actually, this is the first regular season uh, college football game I ever felt compelled to wager on. Uh, because <laughs> the line was Buffalo by five and a half. S&P Plus had Buffalo by 
14 and I had Buffalo by like a million points because like I just know Rutgers isn't good and Buffalo has multiple guys who might be uh, drafted in the first three days of the 2018 NFL draft, uh, 2019 NFL draft. So I went, you know what? I think I'm going to, if I, if I were a betting man, I would have bet $40 on this game after talking myself down from wanting to bet a hundred dollars on this game. And I would have won $78. So uh, nice. Again, would have, this is all hypothetical. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Rutgers, um, I, between losing 42, 13 to Buffalo and 55, 14, 42-13 42-13 to Buffalo and 55-14 to Kansas. Uh, it, it's starting to. I'm starting to think that uh, Rutgers might be in the market for a new head coach sometime soon, Matt. Yeah, Chris Ash. Uh, I think their their over under was like three and a half. And when I saw that, I'm like, what's their schedule? Oh, Buffalo, easy. Oh, Texas State, easy. Oh, um, Kansas, easy. They just have to win one more. I I almost bet on that one, which is insane that I didn't. But, yeah, I don't know what Rutgers is doing. I don't think Rutgers knows what it's doing. Anthony Johnson's great. Go Buffalo. Yeah, Anthony Johnson is fantastic. Uh, Tyree Jackson is a six foot seven inch quarterback who can sling it. Um, unfortunately, the Bills won today, so I can't say he's the best quarterback in Buffalo. Um, That's true. Yeah, and then uh, Khalil Hodge is a six one linebacker who in their first four games had eight 10, 14, and 15 tackles. So, uh, yeah, Buffalo is actually good. Um, I don't know uh, if they're going to be able to run the table, especially because they have to play noted uh, team that beat Oklahoma this past week, Army. Um, oh, that game's going to be so weird. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. going to be hysterical if that game's not on pay-per-view, but Oklahoma Army was on pay-per-view. For the low price of fifty-four ninety-five, you could have watched Oklahoma nearly lose to Army. <laughs> Wait, which, listen, that's worth fifty-four ninety-five in my eyes. Oh but. my god, it was amazing. That game was hysterical <laughs> because it was it was the best because I watched Army throw three passes and two of them were intercepted and one was thrown by a wide receiver. Yeah, it was it was amazing. The, I my I think my favorite thing about this game is that. Uh, here, give me a second. Let me pull these stats up real quick. Uh, if you're still listening, God bless you. Uh, Army yeah, yeah. had Army had the ball for 44 minutes and 41 seconds. Oklahoma for 15 minutes and 19 seconds. Army ran like they ran like 80 some odd plays to like 30 uh, to like 40 or 41 for Oklahoma. But because Army is a triple option team, uh, Kenneth Murray, a linebacker who might be a national. Uh, he might end up being an All-American, had 28 tackles. Another linebacker for uh, Oklahoma had 23 tackles. So what a game. Like, this ruled. We Oh, amazing. Oh, God. God th- thank you, Army, for nearly taking it to Oklahoma. That would have... That would have been something, but uh, that would have been the funniest thing because like oh, Army is yeah. one of the Army's one of the teams you like can't get mad at. You're like, oh, I hate Army. Like no one can absolutely say that. That would have been exactly. Oh, that would have been that would have been hysterical. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, get get them next time, Army. One of these days, Army is going to like triple option a really good team to death, and I have faith that it's coming sooner rather than later. Um, next up, Michigan State thirty five, Indiana twenty one. Uh, Game was in Bloomington. It was at night. Uh, Indiana came into this game with a lot of hype. Uh, ultimately, they couldn't run the football. Uh, Peyton Ramsey wasn't able to do 
quite enough with his arm, and uh, Michigan State, they just Michigan Stated them to death. They were efficient, efficient, uh, save for a pair of interceptions through the air, uh, ran the ball relatively decent. Oh, wait, no. Oh, God. Ugh. So they had 131 rushing yards as a team, and 75 of them came on one carry. Yeah, yeah that, that that carry broke my heart. I had this game on a, on one of my TVs, and when uh, Indiana drove down the field and brought it within, I think, a score, like four points, and then Michigan State hit him with the jet sweep. Oh, it ripped my heart out. Oof. Yeah, uh, I, I actually don't have Indiana uh, Big Ten Network up by me, so I couldn't watch this, and I was... A little upset because it looked like Indiana might have been able to, you know, exercise some IU demons. But, uh, you know, Michigan State does this to people. Uh, and congrats to Herm Edwards for his transition, uh, transitive property win over the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, Good for Herm. Her, yeah, his uh, new leadership model uh, fell to Washington, but it was a close game, so good for that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Purdue whooped up on Boston College. Uh, Boston College was fun this year. Because for a while it looked like they knew what they were doing. Uh, and then, for whatever reason, they just couldn't run the football on Purdue. And David Blau uh, ruined them through the air. I'm still, I still don't know exactly how good Purdue is. I know Rondale Moore is hot fire. He had eight receptions for 110 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Purdue gets their first win. Now they move into uh, a pretty... They move into the relatively manageable portion of their schedule for the next two weeks, even though uh, both games are on the road before they get thrown into the meat grinder. So, uh, Purdue, you best start winning some football games because if not, you have to go to you have to take on Ohio State and then go to East Lansing and then take on Iowa and then you end the year with Wisconsin and Indiana. So, this might end up being a tough year for uh, everyone's favorite football team that has questionable safety practices for opposing quarterbacks, the Purdue Boilermakers. I'll tell you what, those three losses they had close might be a net positive long-term. Because yeah. now Jeff Brom might be all like, eh, yeah, I'm staying for another year. Mm-hmm. So it actually might work out into Purdue's favor next right. year. Right, Shine, so. Shine might have come off him a little bit. He has to, you know, have another He's year. awesome, though. He's awesome. I love Jeff Brom. Yeah, he's a, he's a lunatic. I've told this story many a times, but I was, like, talking myself into him taking over for James Franklin at halftime of the Minnesota game in 2016, so... <laughs> Uh, speaking of coaches who uh, are going to be fired, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who I joke about is going to be fired sometime soon, whooped up on Nebraska, who I don't think is going to fire Scott Frost anytime soon, but who boy, you should not lose 56 to 10, uh, maybe ever, but I'm good for Michigan. It looks like they kind of figured out what to do. They let uh, Ben Mason, their fullback, carry it six times, three for touchdowns. But Nebraska is kind of like in no man's land right now. And while I believe in Scott Frost, this is um, extremely not good. Oh, yeah. I think Scott Frost is a lot more leeway than I think You're any right. other coach. Like, let even alone like a Nebraska alum because it's Scott Frost. Scott Frost could have five. I think he could have. I think we'll give him five losing seasons before people would be all like, eh, he might not be the guy. Like, Scott Frost has so much leeway to build this program up. So, you know, if they're going to be bad this year, you know, they'll be they'll be fine in two to three, maybe even next year. Yeah, I, Adrian, I, Adrian Martinez rules. Oh, he's fantastic. Like they have uh, the uh, they have the piece, which is you have a uh, you have a quarterback and you have a guy who should be able to mold him. But like I I was having this conversation over the weekend while, you know, Michigan was whooping up on them. But you look at where. uh 
where they are right now, where Nebraska is right now, and you can like point very strongly at just how terrible the Mike Riley era went. When they hired Mike Riley, they probably should have hired Scott Frost instead. I understand that he had no head coaching experience, but by that time, he like he had already orchestrated an offense that made it to a national title game that had a guy who won the Heisman Trophy. He had won, I, He was a finalist for the Broyles Award. He did not win it. They really should just pull that trigger. Now he is a bit of a bit of a hole to dig himself out of, and I agree with you, Matt. I think he's going to have a. He, he does have a whole lot of leeway to figure out what he has to do. But in the meantime, that is, um, yeah, I can't imagine it being pretty. And then Michigan, like, th- this is kind of what they should be doing. So it is a little bit concerning that it seems like they might be starting uh, to piece it together. Uh, but, you know, they have a few... Uh, they, have, they don't have two tough games on the horizon. They have to go to Northwestern to take on Maryland before Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State. But it's a step forward for them and for a team that for a team that started the season off on the wrong foot, it looks like they're starting to round into form, which makes them really scary. Oh, for sure. Next up and last up, uh, speaking of really scary, uh, do you remember how last year Iowa choked away a win at Kinnick to Penn State? Well, guess what? They did it again, only this time it was to Wisconsin. Uh, Alex Hornibrook led a drive uh, down the stretch. He went 17 for 22, 205 yards and three scores in the game. Jonathan Taylor, 25 carries, 113 yards. Nathan Stanley was pretty decent, um, but... I, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I was watching this game, and as Wisconsin, it felt like they were kind of, it, it felt like they were kind of destined to win this game. That It happened again, and I cannot believe that for the second year in a row, on the exact same weekend, the second straight year in a row, Iowa ended up losing this type of game. Yeah, this was a game of future sixth-round picks at quarterback, which is awesome. I love <laughs> Alex Hornibrook. I'm I, I, lefty quarterbacks. I just love them. I'm obsessed. Uh, but no, I think BYU beating Wisconsin was the worst thing to happen to Iowa. Yep. Because yep. Iowa's plays better against better teams. I mean, they beat Ohio State 55 to 24 last yep. year in Guinness. Yep. I, I think if Wisconsin beats BYU, they lose to Iowa this week. So. I mean, poor Iowa. Iowa's still going to win eight games. It's going to be weird. It's going to feel like they only won five. Um, Wisconsin, I don't really know what their ceiling is going forward, but BYU might be good. Who knows? So, yeah, we'll I mean, see. The, the, bad news for, uh, the, the bad news is that if you are a, a Big Ten East team that has to go, like, after Iowa gets their heart rips out, if, ripped out, if this follows the same uh, path that last year followed, they're going to whoop up on a Big Ten team during an afternoon kick. Big Ten East team at home during an afternoon kick. And oh, would you know it, they host Maryland at noon on uh, October 20th. So apologies Ooh. to the Terps, but uh, Iowa might whoop up on you. And that's, a week, that's a week before Iowa comes to Penn State and they uh, get paws put on them. Uh, yep. Yeah. I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. Matt, Matt, uh, we'll do the exit interview uh, with you later, but I'm very glad that we were finally able to get you on here. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. I'm currently taking a podcasting class, so just trying to make just trying to make all those lovely people in Com 362 proud. They have that? 
oh my god yeah it's the best we'll talk about that off the air momentarily because i have to do like the wrap-up thing but i'm god i would can you let can you like submit this as credit by chance uh i have an assignment due on thursday yeah i'll send this i'll see what happens hell yeah all right sweet uh so yeah Thank you for this listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio, which apparently is a little bit more important than usual. Uh, as always, <laughs> follow us on our social media channels. Subscribe to us on all of the various podcasting platforms. Make sure you head on to iTunes. Leave us a review over there. Keep reading and supporting the site. We're going to have a lot of fun stuff uh, coming up on the horizon with Ohio State coming to town. Uh, buy some t-shirts. We have some nice ones. Uh, fingers crossed that we have a reason to... Uh, re-release the shirt this week that has Urban Meyer's famous quote saying he wished Penn State saved whiteouts for other games on it. And yeah, one more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all.